Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. All right, so... Hey! Good morning! <laughs> good morning! Let's bring some of this morning energy Yeah, you've got to your our coffee. show. I have my coffee. You know what? It doesn't feel like... It's like my midday by now. Like, yeah. I... <laughs> okay, this is a whole thing <laughs> with us, but basically, if I have to be anywhere before 11 a.m., it's... <laughs> it's like, if I have to set my alarm... <laughs> In order to wake you have up, to set your alarm to be awake by eleven a.m. No, not by not by eleven, but like to be ready and somewhere by eleven. Okay. Yes. So I set my alarm for eight this morning because no eight fifteen because I was like I I need time to you know prepare to get ready and yeah so that it's it's a commitment for me okay I love you so much uh, so do you remember the other night we were at my birthday party mm-hmm. eating our face full of shrimps shrimps give me some of them shrimpies. <laughs> so you're putting an I in the word shrimp and that's shrimp it's an A shrimps give me them shrimps <laughs> anyway uh, so we were all pretty bourbon drunk we killed a whole like there were only eight people at that party yeah and we killed a whole two bottles of bourbon and it wasn't me I had like a shot of it I know you're a darling you're a darling. Uh, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was mostly Dan. <laughs> Dan was Dan. And so the third glass of bourbon drink that Dan made me, uh-huh. whew, I had to share it with other people. Yeah. Whew. But the next day, uh-huh. I woke up at 6 a.m., was in the pool by 7 for that a workout. That is so absurd. That's... You asked me that night if I wanted to come too, and I just laughed in your face. <laughs> Yeah. No. I think it really helps that I never get hangovers. Like, I just sort of, oh, like, I wake up I, the next morning and I roll. I get the worst hangovers, which is why I don't drink much anymore. Aww. Like, to the point where I can't keep up with my own parents. <laughs> well, in fairness, your parents have years of drinking experience. Ed and Marie go hard. <laughs> they know how to party. <laughs> sorry, Jen's mom. I'm sorry you're having to hear this. <laughs> they don't listen. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, so speaking of people who are, might be listening to our show, uh, the man who I babysat. No. Like, I babysat for him, for but like his, his child. children. Yes. Children. Children, okay. Uh, like, I like I was the third part of their parenting. Yeah. <laughs> like their third leg. Third leg. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds gross. I don't like um. that. Anyway, uh, they're my kids uh, as much as they are theirs. And uh, he was just like, oh, where, where can I listen to your podcast? And I was like, please don't. <laughs> what if yeah. instead you didn't? <laughs> yeah. The, I, I showed up to work day one. They're like, oh, so you do the podcast. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. Cool. It's going to be one of those places. <laughs> All the cards are on the table now. Yeah. It's not like we're ashamed. Well, I had to, I just made myself, I started a new job at this yeah. podcast is haunted. Yeah. And like, I... Now that I don't work with children, I guess I don't have to worry about parents finding out about yeah. who I am. I don't have to worry about that as much, but I'm still just worried about the general public. Yeah. Well, the general public that you work with is a particularly aggressive public. They like to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So speaking of people who who like to fight, mm-hmm. uh, I'm. how have we never discussed these people before? I properly? don't know. I feel like, okay. Okay. I will preface this by saying, like, 
y'all have been great about like giving us some suggestions for places and for topics to cover and some of them are really i would say heavy hitters in the paranormal for sure genre things that we probably should have covered already well okay but like i've always been of two minds about this because when you start getting into these kinds of things and you start listening to multiple podcasts that cover like paranormal topics you start to hear some of the same topics over and That's over and true. over again. And so part of me has been like, let's not cover those big topics, even though I, as a listener, would love to hear them. I'm just uh, so worried that people are going to be like, oh, this is the fifth podcast episode I've heard about this topic That's today. True. That's true. So, yeah. And also, I don't want to get it wrong. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, if you don't know about it, then we can't fuck it up. <laughs> there is also that. <laughs> Like, but, I kind of have a trigger to the word Annabelle now, like, because oh, people have, have, have yeah. corrected us correctly. We were wrong. Episode two, man. Episode two, man. You guys, you guys came in hot it and It was, heavy. it was, uh, when I listened back to it editing, I was like, that's wrong. It's an egregious error. Yeah. And yet, we were so young we three years ago. So young. So naive. So naive. I'm still pretty naive, but yeah. I'm no longer going to call myself young. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm 32 now, Jen. Mm. Foot in the grave. Yeah. Elderly. <laughs> Millennial. So, so okay, so now we've danced around the subject. Mm-hmm. Guys, what we're talking about today are Ed and Lorraine Warren mm-hmm. and The Conjuring Story. Yeah. The Conjuring movie, the first one. Which is important not only because it's a huge bro- blockbuster bro- Broadway. Ha, 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 ha. Look at me go. You nerd. <laughs> I'm such a fucking nerd. <laughs> huge hit, uh, huge blockbuster film, but also important to Jen and I in our friendship. Yeah, it was one of the first scary movies that I made you watch. I think it was the first scary movie you made me watch. Uh-huh. And I handled it not well at all. It was delightful. <laughs> I told you when to look. I told you when not to look. And to be fair, I also cover my eyes during parts of this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it's like a very legit... like. It's scary. The Conjuring Mm -hmm. is a particularly well-made film. Yeah. And while it's a little tropey, it kind of like... The tropes that it has are legitimate to its story. Yes. I think it is one of the best examples of like a haunted house movie. Yes. Uh, And so uh, we were talking about this with someone the other day. Um, or at least I was, and they were like, oh, you know, I'm not really great with scary movies. Like, do you recommend this one? I was like, um, not necessarily because it's very good at doing what it, like, what it does. It's a great film. You should watch it because it's a great film. Yeah. It is well acted. It is well shot. Yeah. The storyline is gripping. Uh, the special effects are amazing mm-hmm. and and very minimal. Yeah. You don't really know what you're watching until you like really think about it. They they but, know when to like bring out the big guns and when to do right? the subtleness. Like I'm afraid to hang up sheets on a line now. Fuck. Can't do it. That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> of course it was. That's like one of the scariest parts of the movie, and also we one of the both simplest. screamed. Yeah. You'd seen the film before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So guys, if you haven't watched this movie before. Turn off this podcast. Yeah. Go watch that movie right away. Yeah, because also we will spoil all of it. Oh, yeah. But... We're going to spoil the shit out of it. Yeah. Be prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the the Warrens are also important to me personally and, like, mm-hmm. my experiences with the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So when I was but a young buck at Grand Valley State University in either 2007 or 2008, somewhere. Oh, simpler times. Simpler times. <laughs> uh, Lorraine Warren 
Ed had recently died. He died in 2006. She came to speak at my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like super into ghost hunting at the time because weren't we all? Yeah. And uh, I got her autograph later. By the way, could not find my copy of her autograph in oh, this house. Which doesn't sad. mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that I can't find it it's yet. It's now a ghost book. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, so I had been doing a lot with tarot. Mm. Uh, I, I've done a lot with tarot. I've always had like kind of a an affinity for the cards. I've done well with that. And she told me as I was getting my autograph from her, I didn't say anything else, didn't have my cards out, wasn't mm-hmm. wearing like I love tarot across my forehead. Right. You weren't wearing your I love tarot t-shirt? I mean, I wasn't. That you usually do wear? I mean, don't I always? <laughs> no. So she, she, I was like, oh, could you just sign this? And you know, just normal kid. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, stop playing with those cards, little girl. You're drawing attention to yourself. Oh, God, I would Idiot. just run away. I don't know. I, ooh, I didn't touch those cards for I a I think my years. blood would just run cold. That's basically what happened. And like, I didn't, I didn't touch those cards for years. I still don't do tarot as much as I used to. Yeah. Like she really put the fear of There's God into me. something about a statement like that just out of the blue you're you're drawing attention to yourself all right i believe everything now (laughs) right yeah so i have always kind of based on that interaction Mm -hmm. i believe learning more and i believe that she and ed have had the experiences that they had because in that one instance she saw me she saw right now okay all right but also my skeptic side Uh uh is like all right chubby you know, kind of older, <laughs> she profile white you. girl. Yeah, I, I mean, it could have been totally a cold Coming reading. to a Lorraine Warren talk. I bet she said that to every single girl. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it could be. Just to see if it would stick. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think I was just wearing, like, a green T-shirt that said, like, something about Grand Valley on it. Yeah. At, I got at, like, a student retreat. Yeah. And then, like, a white hoodie. <laughs> Zip up. And she said it to every girl, and, so, and some of them just look confused, and then some like you were like, "Fuck!" Right? And then she knew. <laughs> then she knew. She yeah, like, I got her. <laughs> got I know it's possible. It's I would t- do that. It's totally possible. Maybe we should, if we ever do live shows. <laughs> there we go. Just, just try and like you <laughs> stop doing the cards. Yeah, but everybody knows we're just not like psychics. throwing spaghetti at the wall. I do have some psychic. Okay. And the other night, I proved it. Oh, really? To my husband. Yes. Who is a big skeptic. We, it is, it is, we live off of a major road, uh, major shopping center district in Grand Rapids. And uh, this road is <clears throat> chaotic, pretty much like November yeah. through December. And Dan was like, well, let's go get dinner at this and such place, this and such place. And I was like, no, we have to get off this road. And like. What happened? There were three accidents around <gasps> us. Like, one happened right next to my face. Like, it missed us by inches. Oh, no. Yeah, so, like, the car in the lane next to us got in this, like, like slammed into the truck in front of it. Uh-huh. And I was like, we have to get off this road. Uh-huh. And, like, it was, it was highly anxious even for me. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, we have to get off this road. We need to go home. You we need to go home. Like... We need to get off of this road. Yeah. And uh, I think I've said before on the show, not the first time, uh, me and my sister... Uh, we're driving up from Benton Harbor to Grand Rapids when Gerald Ford died. And Gerald Ford is right. a Grand Rapids native. And we were driving very close to the Palisades nuclear power plant. Uh-huh. And we both like kind of shuddered and we looked at each other and we we're like, something just happened. <gasps> and we turned on the radio and Jerry Ford had died. Man. Totally impacted the what rest of our weekend. Of Michigan. Right? Is the <laughs> 
so so aggressively Grand Rapids. <laughs> so aggressively Midwestern. Well, it did. Life. It fucked up the rest of our weekend. I feel because it. the the president is dead. The president is gone. A home a hometown hero. <laughs> Laid to rest. <laughs> Gerald Ford. So uh, her apartment is quite near the Ford Museum. Yeah. And it, I mean, just everything was shut down. It was it was hell to get around the city. Oh, yeah. I have, I heard stories from the staff when they were there. That oh, right, because you like, worked there. Because I worked there, but like much after the fact. So I didn't yeah. get to experience this, but they were like, they like would sleep under their desks. Like a, a few of them. They just had to be there. Well, they also had the the like Boy Scout like salute like round the clock yeah. thing like viewing in the lobby, and so they literally had to be there twenty four seven. So they would just go on rotating shifts where like some of the staff would be like they would just take the night shift and they were just. I cannot imagine. It seems awful. Yeah, yeah. So so we're talking about the Warrens today. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm a believer. Um, so I'm going to briefly, I wanted to discuss the Warrens as people Yeah. Uh, before we get into some of their cases. And guys, you know their cases. You've heard of them. You've before. seen the movies. You've seen the movies. <laughs> it's um, a billion dollar franchise. It, yeah. The, the the Warren name is worth a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it all started with Ed Warren. He was born September 7th of 1926 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. He died uh, August 23rd of 2006, which was like the third day of my freshman year of college and I didn't know who he was back then it's kind of sad but he died in his home in Monroe Connecticut the same year Jerry Ford died by the way that's true (laughs) you right I'm just saying 2006 (laughs) we lost a few legends that year (laughs) we did Uh, so he was at home in Monroe Connecticut which is where uh, Monroe, Connecticut is the home of the Warrens um, and their occult museum. So mm-hmm. if you've ever wanted to see the real Annabelle, that's where you're headed. Which is a Raggedy Ann doll, for the record. <laughs> for the record. <laughs> um, so he was a, a husband, a father. He was a sailor in World War II. He's an author, a painter, a demonologist, uh-huh. self-professed, and a paranormal All demonologists, self like professed like is there a school for demonology i was looking for information about that Uh because i was also interested uh the only getting your own certification (laughs) no no you know i don't mess with demons no fuck no fuck no we're not catholic enough for that well you don't even have to be catholic apparently which is what i was finding online but the catholics do kind of have if not the more the the corner marketed Mm -hmm. nope what am i trying to say the market cornered Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So Catholics may not have the market cornered, yeah. but they certainly do a lot with it um, because they're the only ones who've been willing to like talk about it. Mm-hmm. And even then, uh, which we covered before when we talked about exorcism stories, um, Catholics, exorcism wasn't something that was widely known until mm-hmm. the film The Exorcist. Yeah. Well, and we should qualify this with saying in Western culture. Oh, yeah. Good point. Very so, good point. yeah, there is a whole host of other... But like demonology and religion. And, and if you look up that. demonology just on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find they have little subsets of all yeah. the religions and kind of like what they say about them. Yeah, all cultures have have demons, it, so it would seem, um, from my brief look at it. Uh, so Ed was married to Lorraine, mm-hmm. Lorraine Rita Warren, according to Nesper. I really enjoyed the Nesper biology. Bi- nope. <laughs> I enjoyed the Nesper biography page. It had a lot of good information. Mm. Uh, so she was born January 37. Uh, nope. There is 37. 
Mercury in retrograde? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> or am I just tired and I haven't eaten yet? <laughs> so uh, Lorraine was born January 31st of 1927 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And she just died this past April, April 18th of 2019, at their home in Monroe. She is a mother, a wife, author, paranormal investigator, and a trance medium. Um, oh. Do you want to know what that is? Please. Of course you do. So this is from the Spiritual Temple. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. First Spiritual Temple. Oh, not the second one. Okay. Because there's a big rivalry. <laughs> uh, so this article is um, What is Trans Communication? Uh, by Reverend Simeon... Mm. All right, yep. Reverend Simeon. <laughs> so by Simeon Stephanodakis. It's very Greek sounding. Very. So this, uh, he's talking about transmediorship or channeling. It's very misunderstood. When a spirit links with a medium, the spirit communicator exerts various degrees of control or overshadows the consciousness of the medium to a greater or lesser degree. This varies depending on the intent and conditions of communication, as well as the ability of the medium to lend himself or herself to being overshadowed or controlled. It is considered to be the strongest degree of control. Yet even here, there are various degrees, from light trance to a very deep trance. Lorraine describes herself as a light trance medium. Okay. If there are many factors that indicate genuine trance control, parapsychologists have used various tests to determine whether, in fact, a medium is under trance control, and if so, to what degree. Some of the things they look for are slowing of the heart rate, deep, slow, steady breathing pattern, no rapid eye movement, or REM, mm. a lowering of body temperature, greatly reduced reduction to touch or pain, and various degrees of unconsciousness. So we see in the films, Lorraine Warren slips sort of gently into talking to the spirit world, and then mm-hmm. she's back. Yeah. As opposed to being gone for hours and then comes back. Yeah, it's like uh, on a scale of her to like Sybil Trelawney. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Sybil Trelawney has to be passed the fuck out to be a, to be a psychic. Yeah. Oh, what a great book. That's Aww. the third Harry Potter book and it's my favorite. Oh. I should reread it. So <laughs> the Warrens got interested in the paranormal because Ed grew up in a haunted house. That's how it usually happens. I know, isn't it? right? That's the way it goes. I I think the same can be said of me. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you? Because your house is not haunted. No, I always wanted it to be. Sure, it's just who old. doesn't? <laughs> what girl doesn't? You know, what young girl? I just started reading those like you know scary stories to tell in the dark books, and I would just start hearing like sounds in my house. But it was built in 1925, and. It's old enough to be haunted. You don't know. It is old enough to be haunted, but it's also old enough to have creaky wood. That's so <laughs> our house was ha- was haunted, but probably by the person we who died. I mean, we bought it from her, and then she yeah. died, and she hated cats, and she told us not to keep cats in her house. Oh, and we kept cats in her house, mm-hmm. and she used to fuck with the cats. Shit. <laughs> yeah, Pearl, nice lady, but didn't like cats. <laughs> um, anyway, so Ed grew up in a haunted house, uh, and he describes it on the. Uh, the website, New England Society for Psychic Research, which is Nesper. Uh, he described it as, even though his father, who was a police officer, his dad was always like, oh, there's always a logical reason for everything that happens in this house. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't find a logical reason. Mm-hmm. So Ed would describe going to sleep at night. And around 3 a.m., the doorknob of his closet would start to rattle. <laughs> and then it would slowly open. And they would just see darkness. Slowly light would start to gather. 
and it would form into a ball. And that ball started to look like the face of an angry old woman. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, that's a really that's a really great tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ed Warren follows that up with saying, that's what we call a ghost globule. <laughs> Just took some of the magic out for me. That's what we in the biz call a ghost, ghost globule. globule. Yeah. You know, it was the 60s. Um, uh, so he it's had- a class three ghost globule. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Mm. Uh, not everything's perfect. So he actually met Lorraine when they were both 16. Uh, he was ushering at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport. Uh, she used to come to see a movie every Wednesday night with her mother, which Cute. I think is very sweet, right? Yeah. Now, when I first read that, I was kind of glancing at it. And uh-huh. you know how they're like aggressively Catholic? Yeah. I read the word usher and I read every Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, he was a choir boy Church. or something. Yeah. But no, it's no, a theater. Movies. Yeah. They were getting their news and stuff because it was 1942. Church. Yeah. Um, so he eventually, they, they struck up a friendship while he was ushering, mm-hmm. and he offered to walk her home one night. Oh. And cute. then he asked her on a date, and that oh, was kind 40s. of the end of it. Mm-hmm. I know, right? How sweet. Yeah. So sweet. Now, he... Isn't it funny how every dating story from, like, that time period just sounds like the cutest? And it's just because they didn't have Tinder. <laughs> Or the internet. So I read something recently. uh, I think it was on BuzzFeed, but it was a capture from uh, Tumblr, which Mm. all the good things are. Oh, yeah. So they were talking about sweet ways their grandparents met. And then this girl gets on and she says, Uh my grandmother met my grandfather. He was he was being uh, what's um, photographed. No, he was doing that, though. He was. Photographing. He was photographing a protest <laughs> when the police started to arrest people. And sh- the grandmother, who was in the protest, jumped on the back of his Vespa and said, Drive, motherfucker, drive! <gasps> and that's how they met, and they eventually got married. I need a movie about that. Right? I would watch the shit out of that. Oh, my God. Like, chasing liberty for the, for like the 1%, you know? Jesus. Or for the for the 99%. Oh, God. Because, you know, jumping on. I love chasing liberty. Shut up. Don't judge me. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, um, so he, he enlisted in the Navy at age 17. World War II was on then. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was actually on board his ship when it was sunk. Uh, he survived, obviously. And he was given 30 days survivor leave. Ah, yes. That seems like not enough time. (laughs) Get over your PTSD, soldier. Oh, did you you watch men drown around you while you sunk on a ship that was, you know. (laughs) Well, then you'll know what to do next time. Get back. (laughs) 30 days. You get 30 days leave at home. Enjoy. Uh, So on that 30 days leave, he and Lorraine got married. That's cute. Isn't it cute? I think it's cute. My ship just sunk, honey. Let's get married before I, I go back to war. Right, every moment, every moment counts. Mm. You know, you want you want to yeah. make sure that she's she's your wife before you go. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's cute. I get it. I'm big on romance. It is though. cute. It is cute. Thank it's just you. a weird circumstance. It is. But so is the whole war. So so after the war. Yay! Ticker tape. Yeah. <laughs> so Ed always had a talent for art. Um, after the war, uh, you know, he was he was married to Lorraine. They mm-hmm. had a young daughter whose name is Judy, their only child. And he actually went on to art school. He attended a Yale subsidiary. And thus we were <laughs> we avoided another Hitler. That's right. <laughs> So he got into art school. Uh, Suck it, Hitler. Aha! <laughs> it was called the Perry Art School, and it was associated with Yale. 
And he found that he was getting irritated with the classes, I guess, the professors. He thought that he was a better painter than the professors. Okay, Ed. All right. Let's just, okay. <laughs> he didn't want to have to learn things like geometry and foreshortening and uh, things like that. He just wanted to go paint. You yeah. know? Well, I think at the time, this was, the, this was leading into the 60s, 50s and 60s, there was kind of like a country craft movement oh yeah where oh, things I know weren't all like, about that <laughs> i'm sure you do you're an art history person <laughs> yeah so he got fed up and he said lorraine let's go have some fun so they bought a car for 15 dollars. jesus uh-huh they had to pay it off in three week installments so every week three week installments so he had to pay five dollars a week to pay it off i cannot yeah he's talking about what things used to the economy <laughs> inflation yeah, so he and he and Lorraine would go up with Judy and they'd spend the day in the country and he would pick a place to paint and he'd paint it and then they'd sell it on the side of the road. And they would get three, four, five dollars per painting. Uh-huh. And so they were making pretty good money. They could buy 17 cars after one day's outing. Well, they, he was talking on his website about what things used to cost back then. Jesus. Like gas was 10 cents a gallon. Yeah. And, uh, milk was like 18 cents. Like, it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, people actually used to use cents to buy things. There's um, a whole section of uh, Stephen King's book, 112263, about mm-hmm. that. About how much things cost back then? Yeah, because it's like, if you don't know, the premise is this guy gets sucked back into time uh, into the 60s. Uh-huh. And he's just like, oh, my God, everything here is amazing. It's so cheap <laughs> and it tastes so good. And then he goes to a gas station and he sees the the bathroom for, quote, colored. <laughs> and Some of the magic's gone. And then huh? he's like, oh, right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, racism. You know, yeah. it's before we get too romantic about the past. Yeah. Let's remember. So yeah, so they're going out there. They're, they're but the painting. economy was booming. It's that post-war economy, man. Which we've tried to simulate ourselves by having, you know, fifteen War fucking wars forever. But we don't do them like we used to. Yeah, it's just not quite the same. <laughs> I just learned today. Well, relearned because I probably have heard of this before. But the last time Congress declared war or peace was World War II. Cool. Yeah, for all you at home, that's how it's supposed to happen. <laughs> And the last time it went, how it's supposed to happen is World War II. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to go lay down. Yeah. We're talking a lot about the war for an episode about the Warrens. It's fine. Let's keep going. <laughs> so they're up there painting the countryside. They're making a, a pretty good living for the time period. And they would, as they were traveling around these like idyllic little hamlets, mm-hmm. they would hear local stories of haunted houses. Yeah, because it's fucking New England. Everything is haunted. Well, it's been there forever. Yeah. Uh, so Ed and Lorraine, especially Ed, he really wanted to see if people had the same experiences as he had had growing up. Mm. He was looking for some sort of unifying truth. Uh, my term, not his. Just did anybody else have the experiences that I had? So... Um, he came up with a, a way to speak to these people. And what he would do is set up his little painting easel in the dirt road in front of their houses that were haunted. And he would be very obvious that he's painting this house yeah. or sketching this house. And soon people would be like fluttering the curtains. What are they doing out there? What's going on? Also a different time. If you did that <laughs> right. now, you'd get shot. You would absolutely get shot. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't do that shit. Um, so he would then send Lorraine up... Uh, 
And Here's she, my wife. <laughs> right. She would go knock on the door and say, oh, hey, my husband made this painting or sketch for you. And yeah. just try and give them this little special gift. And so it would be their <laughs> That's house. That's how people con people now. <laughs> With all sorts of ghosts coming out of it. Yeah. Because that's the local rumor. And so with that, they could start to talk to people one-on-one and hear about their experiences. Um, They don't go into whether or not they found any sort of unifying truth for how these things start. The science is still out on ghosts. So it would seem. Um, so he, uh, he, the more he heard, the more he wanted to help. Uh, both of them, they wanted to help people. And so um, while they were looking through these, they are trying to research. They wanted to add science. They wanted to add her clairvoyant sensibility. They wanted to add his religion, their religion. Mm-hmm. And all of this was really about collecting proof. Mm-hmm. They kind of set a tone for ghost investigation, paranormal investigation, Combining skeptics. He considered himself a very big skeptic. Uh, Is he? (laughs) Listen, I can only tell you what he has said. He considered himself a skeptic, and he was always looking for reasons that were logical. And in many cases, he didn't find logical reasons. And maybe somebody who is more skeptical would say, okay, but how hard was he looking? Mm -hmm. Which is a fair question. You know, if you want something to be there, you're going to believe it's there. But I'm not here to say that, you know, he did see or he didn't see. I'm just just telling you what he said on his website. Yeah. So... Uh, they they did they collected proof they they have photographs they have videos they have um, they started giving lectures they were frequent members of um, colleges to to go it's of course how I met Lorraine um, and in 1952 they established the New England Society for Psychic Research Nesper and they had a little bit more standing as directors of Nesper they could get called in mm. and they started working with religious affiliations. Gotcha. So they would actually, um, they said that they would work, uh, they worked with any clergy that taught the love of God and love of fellow man. Though they themselves were distinctly Catholic, they did not believe that Catholic, uh, the Catholic point of view was the only way of truth, which I think is fairly open-minded. I appreciate that. They very famously never charged for their investigations. However, uh, they did get have their they didn't have their expenses covered Mm. so if they had to fly out to say arizona or something the flight would be covered hotel rooms would be covered Uh things like that so this is basically a ghost hunting nonprofit. (laughs) kind of yeah i think that's actually a pretty fair statement i do not know if they have a 501c3 status but it'd be interesting to find out oh yeah Yeah, you could look up their information (laughs) right exactly (laughs) they might have them i don't know yeah um i think that'd be interesting to find out i have a board (laughs) I would can love, we get on it? <laughs> can we please? How great would it be to go to this occult museum? Like, oh my God. it's only in Connecticut. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. And we can go meet Bernie Sanders while we're up in that neck of the woods. Vermont is beautiful. It seems beautiful. Let's go in the summer, though. Okay. Or the fall. Yeah, we should go leaf peeping. Do a little bit of leaf peeping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like the word peeping. No. It sounds like something frogs do it's or something files do. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So they wanted to help. Uh, He interviewed um, clergy, priests, rabbis. What do you do when somebody says there's a ghost in their house? Mm -hmm. And these religious men 
offered a gamut of different ideas. They said, first I would tell you to see a psychiatrist. The next I would tell you to look for vents like things around your house that could be causing this. Um, and then another guy said, oh, I'd do a blessing. And if that didn't work, I'd come read mass. And if that didn't work, then I'd do an exorcism. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of was how Nesper would operate. They had a definitely Catholic viewpoint, but they would look for other things first. They really were trying to eliminate these causes in an effort to actually help people. I, yeah. I genuinely believe that. Yeah. yeah. Um they wrote books, uh, they did lectures, they actually had um, a number of famous cases. I'm just going to briefly, uh, Amityville, Annabelle, the werewolf, <laughs> that one was in London. There was a, a, I'm sorry, I said London, I meant Essex, I think. Oh. There was a man who had a demon spirit possessing him, and it caused him to aggressively bite people and chew on himself and attack people, tear down fences, lift fence poles, just really crazy, violent right. things. And he was, whenever he had moments of lucidity, he was asking to be put away mm. so that he wouldn't harm himself or, more importantly, other people. Mm. Really fascinating How very case. very of him. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, In 1980, a man named Gerald Brittle actually wrote a book about the Warrens, uh, specifically Ed, called The Demonologist. And for 30 years, the Warrens and Gerald Brittle have insisted that this book is fact. And it covers some of their very famous cases. Okay. Um, So there's a lot of information if you want to check that book out. Um, I'm going to buy a copy, I think. Yeah. I'd like to see. For the library. That's right. For the library. We can write it off on our taxes. (laughs) So these people became very famous. And when you have... And that famously never corrupts anyone. Right. Well, I I think you take a dimmer view of them than I do. Okay. Um, (laughs) I don't know that they were necessarily corrupt. I think that when you have something big, people want their piece of it. Mm. And so if you, you know, if you have something that's gaining you fame and notoriety, people are going to try and hitch their wagon. Right. Uh, Now, also... It could be, and I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the allegations of falsehoods, their criticism. For example, Amityville. Mm-hmm. Oh. Pretty thoroughly debunked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty thoroughly There's debunked. There's some good podcasts about that. I think last podcast on the left did a yeah. good series on it. It Yeah, it's probably pretty clearly bullshit. Pretty clearly bullshit. Um, it, in fact, I have... An article here that caused that talks about the Warren case files, fact or fiction, and this is from the Criminal Element, which is a website. This this personally was written by Angie Berry, October thirty first of twenty seventeen. All right, an auspicious day. What? Because it's October thirty first. Oh, Halloween. I wasn't listening to the first part of the date. Hurtful. <laughs> so um, the Amityville story says here that even their biggest claim to fame, the Amityville horror, has been thoroughly debunked, according to the lawyer William Weber in nineteen. 19- 1979, the events at Amityville were completely fabricated by him, author Jay Anson, and the mm-hmm. Lutz family, quote, over many bottles of wine, unquote, as a means to recoup the family's losses in their unwise investment. Yeah. And that could be, yeah. you know? There is also in this article an instance uh, following... One second. I will say about Amityville, I think what most people have... Uh, said as like the most charitable version of that story is that there likely were some residual hauntings from the DeFeo family murders, um, which kind of like is the beginning of, you know, this whole story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
the guy murdering his whole family leaves some some energy for sure. But for sure. there's like the whole pig with glowing red eyes and green goo down the walls and all that stuff. It gets to be a little much. Probably a bit much. Yes. So this allegation is that following Ed's death in 2006, people began to recant their testimonies saying that, oh, the Warrens helped so much. A few people, according to the criminal element, came in and said the Warrens paid these people to lie. (sighs) So one of the stories, one moment, um, and this comes from an article called Five Successful People Who Everyone Forgets Are Exposed for Huts. (laughs) Cracked. I love cracked. I love cracked, too. (laughs) Uh, This is by Sammy Trujillo, T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O. Forgive me if I'm butchering that. So number five on the list is Ed and Lorraine Warren. And one of the things that they discuss first is Amityville. Mm -hmm. People are now aware that that's an elaborate hoax. Um, It's all about fun and games. Who cares? Uh, Another famous case was contained in their book, The Devil in Connecticut, about a teenager named Arnie Johnson who murdered his landlord while possessed by demons. And what came out is that this boy was actually mentally ill, not possessed, and he needed actual help from actual doctors. I'm quoting from the article here. Uh, According to Carl... The Warrens promised his family that they'd become millionaires if they would insist that the boys had been plagued by demons instead of a completely treatable mental disorder. They also... That's some outlander bullshit right there. Right? (laughs) Uh, They also promised that Johnson could beat the rap by using, quote, the demonic possession as a defense, Mm. a seemingly bulletproof tactic that somehow only succeeded in earning Johnson a prison sentence. Uh, That's the cracked article talking about how these people are exposed frauds. I knew that this criticism was out there, Dan had sent me that <laughs> that article, which is from 2014, pretty early on in our dating career, <laughs> because he knows that I'm a believer and he isn't. And that brought out just just more stuff. As, as these movies have gotten more and more famous, I mean, we've had two Amityville movies. We've had 1979 mm-hmm. and then also 2004 with Ryan Reynolds. That sounds about right. Where Ryan Reynolds is cut like glass. <laughs> oh! <laughs> He was, man, whew, that movie scared the shit out of me too. Anyway, these people have gotten more famous. These stories have gotten more famous. And so people have come out with criticisms. And um, one, one of the ways that these criticisms have gone forward is with court cases. Mm. So do you remember the book I told you about a little bit ago, The Demonologist? Yeah. So Gerald Brittle, the author, was pissed as fuck about the movie The Conjuring. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) I can't imagine. Uh, The Conjuring earned $1.2 billion. It's a lot of money. Sorry. And he's mad because he said that Ed and Lorraine sold the rights to their stories to him. And then Ed and Lorraine and this man Brittle spent the next 30 years saying this book is the truth. This is all nonfiction. This is truly what happened to us. Mm-hmm. And so Warner Brothers... <laughs> in countersuing uh, or, or in answering this Being suit, the crafty bastards they are. Said, if this is true, you can't put rights on it. Like, we we are just telling a story that happened in history and nobody's allowed to, to own that. Yeah, but I mean, you bring up an excellent point, though, with like the life rights, because selling your life rights is a thing. It's definitely a thing. And it's a thing that movie studios do all the time <laughs> and so you would think that they would know what that means they would maybe be oh, familiar they, they know exactly what it means but they just have they more, have ways of getting around they it have more better lawyers right more better <laughs> um so so i said the, more comma better lawyers 
More better. More better. His, his lawyers, there's more lawyers, and they're better lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they said, you know, Warner Brothers answered the suit, and, and in this way, it was supported in, in that the suit was not cashed out. This guy didn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he backtracks real hard. Uh-huh. You know, Ed's dead. Lorraine's not up and moving much anymore right Uh, she can't hurt him (laughs) right uh so he backtracks and he says these these this was a work of fiction these are characters and i'm not getting paid uh what yeah so (laughs) to add further bullshit to him what the story that's covered in the conjuring which is the story of the parent family which i will get to in his fucking book ah this guy's a money-sucking tool bag yeah so that's I what, mean, now that we're going to defend a media conglomerate here, but right. also this guy is just trying to cash in on exactly someone else's life. So, yeah. So so if we're looking at, at the money, they made millions selling these stories, and, and they got a lot of fame. Some people say that they told them to lie. Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. This is all alleged. Mm-hmm. Um, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Right. <laughs> Uh, one in one of these articles, uh, they refer to Ed and Lorraine as trauma vultures, mm. people who would descend on a traumatic environment and pick it for what they could. Maybe that's the case. I don't mm. know. The, honestly, the criticism side of this made me really sad, but no story more so than this one. This is the allegations of Judith Penny, P-E-N-N-E-Y. And this article came up in, in a story from the Hollywood Reporter title, uh, War Over the Conjuring. The Disturbing Claims Behind a Billion Dollar Franchise by Kim Masters and Ashley Collins. And this was published in The Hollywood Reporter December 13th of 2017. So I read through this article, which is out there for anybody to find. And it made me so sad because mm. I, I, I like the warrants. I can tell from your mm-hmm. sniffy, you know. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, watching the movie, I was like fully on board with them. Like in the movie, they're lovely people. Right. And I have heard various things whispers over the years like that cracked article that maybe they were complete frauds but like i'm a open-minded skeptic towards all things and so i'm not dismissing anything about them really so i i'm playing a bit more devil's advocate i guess but like i'm not totally dismissive of them that's fine i can live with that um i i really love patrick wilson and maybe i'm partially blinded by this Oh, <laughs> he's so beautiful. Who, even forgive him for Aquaman. He just has the a face that you trust. I think a face that I do a lot of things to. Yeah, 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 yeah. He also sings. That goes real far with me. Have you yeah. ever heard him sing these? Uh, he he did. I think well, for a Yankees game, the Star Spangled Banner. He was also famously in yeah Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera. Raul. Though. I hate his character in that movie. I mean, I, I don't mean, think you're ever supposed to like him, but... Well... Disagree. I don't... Yeah, okay, because clearly it's a more healthy relationship. I'm so glad we brought this back to our Broadway roots. Uh, let's... It all comes back. We're to just going to make a little side note before I get really sad talking about Judith Penny. Let's just talk about The Phantom versus Raoul. Yeah, okay, but... Because in The Phantom, you I'm, are definitely supposed to think Raoul's the hero. Kind of. Yeah. But there's also a little bit of the... It's the trope, and I'm not saying I agree with it, because frankly, I think both men are garbage, and I don't like that musical. Uh, we might have a fight about this later, but... <laughs> no, I, I want to hear the rest of your sentence. Um, I think that there's a lot of people out there who... It's kind of like the Jess from Gilmore Girls syndrome. I'm so glad you said this. Where they want, they, they want her to end up with the bad boy who's 
just like weirdly obsessive. They're both weirdly obsessive over they here. They absolutely are. Both of these relationships have signs of toxicity. They're uh, super unhealthy, yeah. Yeah, so he just wants her to like give up her career as an opera singer that she's worked so hard for. Yeah, run whereas, the country with him. Where, whereas the Phantom is like all about her career. Well, and he uses her as a tool to yeah. exact his own fame. Yeah, but arguably he's like helping her pursue her dream. Is he? No. Is this the I'm not dream? defending the Phantom here. I'm just saying that so, like I think there is a camp of people who are rooting for him. There there certainly are. Yeah. Uh you know who was one of them? Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Fuck that guy. So Andrew Lloyd Webber who I'm is, so mad at him. He's an objectively for cats mostly. Well <laughs> Listen, don't blame Andrew Lloyd Webber. Blame cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> cocaine produced cats. But anyway, so Andrew Lloyd Webber is not a very attractive man. No. And his wife at the time, Sarah Brightman, the original Christine. Okay. Beautiful, talented okay. woman. I see he, where this is going. Yep. <laughs> and in the end, he and Sarah don't end up together. They they have a number of... I think they get back together and fall apart a number of times. Um and it's public and ugly and, and bad. Much like the Phantom of the Opera. Ah. <laughs> now, here's my question to you, and I, I think I already know the answer. Um, yeah. Are you aware of the sequel to Phantom of the Opera? I am because you made me listen to it. <laughs> okay. Did I make you watch it? Because I have it. No, do you watch it? I do not. Because I know enough about the storyline. It's so bad. It's possibly the worst thing I've ever seen. It's worse than Cats. I'll give you... I'll, they'll tell you everything you need to know right there. Oh, my uh, God. In which Christine is supposed to end up with the Phantom, and surprise, she's pregnant with his child that she's been raising as Rowls, and now they're magically in Coney Island, uh, <laughs> just... and Rowls, this drunken, disorderly ne'er do well who's everything, a little abusive. Everything is terrible. Right, right, it's terrible. And then Meg, well, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop right there. I'm gonna encourage people to watch it on their own because the yeah. copies are out there. You can buy them on Amazon. It's a good show. You should watch it in. in... Uh, hang on, listen. <laughs> The set design is fantastic. The costumes are fantastic. The staging is fantastic. The actors are fantastic. It's a bad story. Yeah. So watch it. <laughs> Just to What's say you the title did it. Of this one again? It's called Love Never Dies. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's enough of that tangent. Okay. Uh, sorry. So briefly, we're going to touch on the allegations of Judith Penny. Uh, Judith Penny insists. Uh, and has in in a couple different um, writings that she was the lover of Ed Warren mm-hmm. for the better part of four decades. Huh? She okay. met him when she was 15 years old. No. In the early nope. 1960s. Nope, I'm just going to stop you right there. I'm sorry, it's so unsettling. This is some Indiana Jones bullshit. <laughs> Does everyone forget that Indiana Jones is like a child molester in yeah. the first movie? He does. Yeah, everybody kind of forgets that. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. The... Anyway, back to the real life child The real. Anyway, so he was a he was a city bus driver for... No! And he would drive her to school. Oh, that's so bad. Eventually, and she was apparently a troubled youth, uh, she moved into their home in 1963 to be a God. lover. Now, okay... Uh, it would, uh, she positions herself as if she was kind of sister wives. This is my term, not yeah. not not They're hers. Not uh, but that that Warren Lorraine knew about her and was fine with her being in the house. That is one thing. If every party involved is a consenting adult, exactly. 
Yes, I have no problem with polyamory. Yeah. Uh, if everybody on board is a consenting adult who's making and sane, well thought out, their equal non- power dynamics. Exactly. No one is being coerced by age, Definitely. money, power, social class, all of that business. Exactly. And that doesn't seem to be the case according to Judith Petty. I don't care if the Warrens had a sister-wife situation with mm-hmm. their neighbor down the street or they moved her in. It doesn't matter. But this girl starts at 15. Yeah. You and can't, so if this is the case, the Warrens are canceled for me. I, I, now, yeah. if, 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 if the Warrens have, re, re, have, have, have spoken on this, they said, you know, she was a troubled girl who lived with us for a while. Uh, we were helping her. Mm-hmm. Could all be true. Her story is that she was moved into their home by 1963. Eventually, she had an upstairs apartment in their home and that Ed would spend one night with her and one night with Lorraine, back and forth, back and forth. She says in her 30s, which was in the 1970s, she actually became pregnant with his child and the Warrens encouraged her and and maybe coerced her or forced her to have an abortion because the scandal would ruin their business. She's quoted as saying, even though Lorraine is a pious woman, her real God is money, which is very, it's a damning sentence. So so the yeah. family has said, you know, we helped this girl. She was here on charity. Um, and, and she just keeps putting out this story. I don't have, a, I don't have an answer. But again, how many people who are there for charity are taken advantage of? That's also true. That's also true. So, um, so they, she also alleges that Ed used to slap Lorraine around to the point where she became unconscious, and that Judith herself would provide faked proof with Ed for their museum. So she mm. would pose in a white sheet, and he would shoot her, you know, blurrily in a cemetery. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, now, one interesting thing that maybe lends a little credence to her story is the documents drawn up between New Line Cinema and Lorraine Warren. The contractor, yeah. So this is a quote from this Hollywood Reporter story. Um, it says, quote, Lorraine seems to have been intent on preventing any sordid aspects of her story from ever being portrayed on screen. Her deal with New Line to serve as a consultant or model for The Conjuring includes unusual restrictions. The films couldn't show her or her husband engaging in crimes, including sex with minors, child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault. That is very specific. (laughs) Very specific and unusual for these sort of things, apparently. Yeah. Um, Almost makes you wonder what the lawyers thought. And they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, we weren't going to put that in the movie, but now that but you mention it. <laughs> thanks for thanks for saying it. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it continues uh, through this quote. Neither the husband nor the wife could be depicted as participating in an extramarital sexual relationship. Talent attorney Jill Smith says she's never seen specific language barring such descriptions, mm. though individuals selling the rights to their stories sometimes restrict portray- portrayals. And there's a subquote here. I've done deals which prevented descriptions of certain types of odious behavior which are not relevant to the underlying story and in which typically the person is not known to have participated. So Jill Smith says okay. that this language is unusual, but it's not uncommon for these sort of things to be put in. Well, yeah, because yeah, you could see you know, a point where you're like, yeah, I'll give you my the rights to my story, but I don't want you to just like go buck wild with it. Right. And if you have the rights to somebody's story and these allegations are out there, which... The, the Warrens knew these mm-hmm. allegations are out there. Her daughter talks about it. Her son-in-law talks about it. If you knew that was out there, and you've already said this isn't the case, this isn't what happened. Yeah. But somebody knows that they can make a better story if it's out there. Right. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you cover your ass? You would cover your ass. And I think they also know 
that the minute a movie slaps on based on a true story... It's going to sell more. It's going to sell more, and people are going to take everything as fact when it is well known (laughs) that movies hold that very loosely. Yeah, there's (laughs) actually no... I I was reading about this with regard to Brittle. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no standardization for how much truth needs to be based on a true story. Exactly. Like, they do that all the time. And, I mean, you get it because if... Every movie stuck strictly to the facts. First of all, you wouldn't have, like, you couldn't portray certain moments because nobody knows what happens. But also, it wouldn't be as interesting. Right, right. Life just isn't that grand, guys. Yeah. So I'm I'm putting those out there. Um, I don't, I don't believe Judith Penny. I just don't. I oh, okay. it's too much for me. I I believe that maybe the Warrens paid the odd person to say this thing maybe i don't know i had that one interaction with her and i found her to be very upright but i can understand other people feeling differently i feel like and maybe this is the the true skeptic in me i feel like both can be true i feel like this girl could very well have been taken advantage of and been in those kind of very problematic and criminal situation and that Lorraine and Ed Warren both want to make a buck because everybody does in this world. Yada, capitalism. And they could also be very pleasant people. Yeah. Because... Who have genuine talent. Who have genuine talent. Like, some of it could be true, and then they just need a little bit more for that proof. Yeah. You know, like, here's a story that's true, but if you don't have a picture of it, people aren't going to believe it. So, okay, we'll just fake this one picture. But also, I don't want it to be true. Yeah. I don't want... People I have even a modicum of respect for to be child molesters. Oh, 100%. Uh, Like, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm I'm certainly, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, well, you know, Kate's willing to protect child molesters. I'm not. I'm just willing to also say, I don't know if we'll ever know what's true. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, we can't, we can't know for sure. And so there's always going to be doubt one way or the other. Doesn't that suck? Yeah. If I had a time machine... I wouldn't go back and kill him. I mean, I, all right, I'd get killing Hitler out of the way. Yeah. Assuming I have more than one use of this thing. <laughs> I'm going to go crack some cases about what really happened with some of this Dude, shit. Dude, that's what I've always said about, like, if heaven is real and if I get in. First question, who killed John Benet Ramsey? Right. <laughs> Although I think that one's been cracked. Uh, well, I, I feel like we all have a very decent idea about that, but I want to know for sure. I, the only thing I want to know is, does pineapple with milk actually taste good? I can't imagine that it does. It doesn't seem like it would. Yeah. But what do we know? Acid in a base. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, look at a, look at a pina colada. That's true. I just don't like pineapple. Oh, bizarre. Mm. All right. So anyway, what do you got? So say what you will about the Warrens. And there's a lot Everyone to Everyone will continue to do that. Um, I'm going to focus on one of their cases, but mostly focus on the family of that case. So I'm talking, of course, about the, the parent family of the first Conjuring movie fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is... One of the wildest stories I've ever researched for this podcast. <laughs> really? And I'm, I say that by uh, meaning that if it's all true, like, this is, like, the most convincing story I've ever I can't wait. Come across. Now, I purposely did not do any research into this, so I'm excited to hear yeah. this along with everybody else. Because I... And, I know. I think this goes back to like I wasn't sure if I wanted to cover like really well known cases because like I saw the movie, you know, based on a true story, blah blah blah. There's just 
I mean, there's so much documentation for this. And not, like, proof documentation, but, like, people's stories. Sure. So, um, and, I, and I knew this. I saw, like, a featurette on the special features about, like, I knew that the family was still out there and that they, like, allege that this is true. Because, of course, they do. So do you own the DVD? I own it on iTunes. Okay. So I will probably be giving it a little a rewatch soon because yeah. <laughs> it's a very good movie. It's truly well made. It it's is. well acted. It's one of my favorite horror movies. It's a great horror movie. I've rewatched it since watching it with you. Shit is scary. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to just up top. My sources are uh, an article by Brian Alexander called The True Story Behind the Conjuring from USA Today. Um, all these are published in 2013 because that's when the movie came out. Um the IMDb page has some fun facts. Uh, Peter uh, Ellsworth, The Conjuring depicts families reported haunting in Bur- Burlville Farmhouse in the 70s from the Providence Journal. And Am- Ambika Thakur, um, who was The Conjuring's Bathsheba Sherman from International Business Times, Australia. Oh. <laughs> they also got interested in the story. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> so, you know? Um, and then also one of my sources are um, the do- the oldest daughter, Andrea Perrin, wrote a three-volume story of what happened to their family called House of Darkness, House of Light. Ooh, that's a good title. All right. So the Perrin family consists of um, parents Roger and Carolyn Perrin. And there are five daughters. Andrea, who's the oldest, she was 12 at the time of the events of the movie. Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. That's too many daughters. That's a lot of daughters. That's some Pride and Prejudice shit going on there. (laughs) So uh, in the movie and in real life, uh, they move, the family moves into a 14-room, 18th century farmhouse in the Harrisville section of Burlville, Rhode Island. Were there really that many daughters with those names? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they are all they are all portrayed in the film. Um, I have, I mean, by various actresses. <laughs> the two most notable ones, Joey King, who's in a lot of things, mm-hmm. and Mackenzie Foy, who is famously uh, in Twilight. She's the daughter of <laughs> Bella and Edward. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> Renesme, I believe. Yeah, yeah the one that uh, the wolf boy falls in love with. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> okay, apologies to any Twilight fans out there. Um, no, no, no apology. No apologies. Shit out. This is a deeply horrific story. Um, we're not talking about that, though. Uh, so they, they moved to, into this farmhouse um, in 1971, where it diverges already from the movie. They lived there until 1980. Nine, nine years? Nine years in this house. With the things that happened in that movie? With the things that happened in that movie. Fuck that noise. So things happen uh, across a, a wider timeline than in the movie. The movie would have you believe that this all happens within the space of like a month. Sure. But really the events happened across the space of a few years. So um, <laughs> a little information about the house. By the time, by the, you know, 1971... Uh, had come eight generations of families had lived and died in that house before they moved in eight generations of one family eight generations of families okay 
Most of it was within one family, but there were, it sounds like there were a few different families that lived there. So a lot of people died in that house, which is the case with any old farmhouse of that age. Um, Of course. However. People used to die at home. People used to die at home. That's not unusual. However, there are some unusual deaths that happen. Oh. Um, There are two documented suicides, a poisoning, the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl, (sighs) two drownings, and four men who froze to death. That's in, a, in one night. The four men who froze to death. Like, I don't know. It doesn't okay. say. That's not great. That's no, not great. No. So there's there's some bad energy happening. Yeah. And and that doesn't even um, get to the biggest one. <laughs> so most of the deaths occurred within the Arnold family, which seems to have been the predominant family living in this house. Sure. Uh, the Arnold family is where we get to Bathsheba Sherman. Okay. She is a descendant of the Arnold family. So the farmhouse was in the Arnold family since 1844, or starting in 1844, doesn't say through when. But so she was born in that house. She married Judson Sherman, and they lived in the house after they got married. I guess it probably passed to her or something. Sure. I don't know. It seems like accusations and suspicion has surrounded her is she like early 1800s or mid 1800s i'm guessing which is weird because usually you kind of associate witchy things with like the 1600s 1600 early 1700s kind of like before the age of enlightenment yeah when when you get to the civil war it feels like this whole thing should be like quieting down (laughs) but but yet it seems to be still happening i mean i Life in a small town, man. Like, I lived through the late 90s and the early 2000s. I mean, you've got the satanic panic, of course. You've got the satanic panic. Yeah, uh, a lot of people still believe that there's witches in my hometown today. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of suspicion around her because she had some bad things happen around her. Uh, She was linked to the death of a child. Does not specify how. Okay. Um, I'm getting the sense that she was somewhat of, like, maybe a kind of pseudo-midwife situation. Okay. I'm guessing that. Right. Um, based on my experience with people accused of witches and children's deaths. Right. <laughs> um, uh, they also, they had their own children, um, or they were... they were said to have their own children, but none survived past the age of seven. Oh. Which... Not entirely unusual, but maybe unusual for none of them to survive. Well, and for the time period, uh, if you made it to six, you'd make it through the rest of your life, probably. Yeah. Although the Civil War kind of fucked up those statistics. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. God, that's sad. Um, Yeah. So there were a few people accusing her of witchcraft because of this. And the Warrens believe that she was a practicing Satanist who had murdered her young daughter as a sacrifice so that she may remain on the premise premises to haunt the house forever uh they also claim that she practiced black rituals and took her own life and that she cursed anyone who would live on the property after her yikes yeah that's so a that's, lot that's a lot and that's what the warrens claim uh, i'm not sure what their proof is i haven't done extensive research on the top for sure so uh she did die on may 25th 1885 and the coroner apparently wrote that her body was emaciated and ashen black like a rock 
Yep, all over? Or did she have, like, a form of skin cancer? I don't know. Okay. It doesn't say, and it also doesn't list a cause of death. So that information might be out there somewhere. It just wasn't in the articles that I read, so who knows? Right. It might be hard to find out. Yeah, back in 1885, records are spotty, (laughs) and so is... (laughs) medical examiner right. technique. <laughs> um, so fun fact, uh, Rhode Island, at least not in the 70s, does not require home sellers to disclose the documented criminal history of a location to potential buyers. So the parent and family had no idea that any of this had happened in that house. <laughs> oh, fuck. Can you imagine getting that kind of realization? Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're buying an 18th century farmhouse, you've got to assume... People have died in that house. For sure. But do you have to assume that there was a rape and murder of an 11-year-old? Yeah, or that potential witch practicing black rituals may have lived there. Right. Um, So if that's what the Warrens thought, maybe like that's what they got through trans um, uh, clairvoyance, then then maybe that's not part of the historic record. True. You know, just that a lot of people died here. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had no idea, but they decided to move in and... Early on, the neighbors advised the parents to leave their lights on at night. Wow. (laughs) Which I feel like says something about the reputation of that house. Yeah. Leave the lights on at night. I I have to wonder, like, what previous families experienced in that. That's always my question, like, with the Amityville house, too. And, And that's one good argument for it all being bullshit, is that no one since the Lutz family has had any bad experiences in the Amityville house. <laughs> and so they're like, huh, okay, uh, that's weird. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> that's a single glowing pig head. Yeah, yeah. But this house seems to have quite the reputation. Okay. I wonder what it's like now. I hope it's gone. I hope they just, I know. <laughs> Let's just plowed it under. Wipe this off the face of the earth. Um, so they moved in in 1971, and things started out happening fairly soon um, but it started small as it often does in horror movies occurrences that could easily be explained they heard noises they saw objects shifting or um, they would you know come in and be like oh i thought this was here but it's over here you know like that kind of thing where are my keys cindy the second to youngest girl yes cindy a lot of stories come from her too she said things would either be moved all around in a different position than how i left them or they would all be shoved up underneath the bed and i would go to my sisters of course and say hey what did you do to my toys and they'd say nothing why would i mess with your toys cindy all right but also i have a sister (laughs) (laughs) and let me tell you sometimes they just fuck with you to fuck with you exactly so but but that's always how things start in horror movies too it's like you just moved my thing they're like i swear i didn't and then you the audience know (laughs) that's the clue which is kind of funny and like the skeptic in me is like oh this is a really good story but also maybe that's just how things happen in real life so yes I don't know. So the girls started arguing with each other more frequently, perhaps due to them blaming each other for things moving around. But the sources I read also seem to suggest that just there was kind of an air of animosity um, and they just were in a funk. And that can also happen with a lot of negative energy around. Absolutely. Cindy decided, seems to have like kind of made peace with the fact that there was something in the house at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, She says she decided she would share her toys with the kids who were visiting her in her bedroom and playing with her toys. (laughs) That's never a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Cindy, shut it down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess there are worse things than being like, all right, fine. And just not getting too worked up about it because that mm-hmm. almost gives it more energy. Mm-hmm. But also, depending on what her attitude is, kind of leaves you open to more yeah. involvement it's and like interest. There's, there's a fine line you walk. And a lot of the stories that we hear from you listeners and from out in the world is just kind of like the more benign ones people seem to just kind of deal with. Yeah. And that seems to be the situation with Cindy, where she was like, okay, if you're going to move around my toys, like, okay, here, play with this. Right. However, <laughs> if, if you start talking to it or naming it or giving it, like, telling it your secrets, like yeah. Tom Riddle's diary, right. <laughs> like, that's not Don't good. trust anything if you can't see where it keeps its brain. Yes. Um, so, yeah, she's, she starts sharing her toys. Um, they So they seem to assume that there were ghosts, but that they were kind or at least harmless. Um, Cindy says, uh, when we first moved into the house for the first two months, there was a woman that came and kissed me every night on the forehead that I thought was my mother. Pass. Yeah. Do not want. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, Andrea, who is the, the oldest daughter who wrote the book, um, she said, uh, mom smelled like ivory soap and this spirit smelled like flowers and fruit. I, yeah, maybe that's okay then. I mean, again, there's multiple stories that we hear where it's like, oh, you know, it's just this thing. It's kind of routine after a while. There's a lot of our friends in the museum field who, when they walk into their historic house and they smell roses, they're like, okay, that's, uh, that's someone's perfume. Hey, Francine. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes just say hello and move on with your day. Yes. Yes. I would always say hello to all the ghosts at Hyde Hall when I would walk in and walk out. I would say hello and I would say goodbye. And that seems to be a somewhat healthy way to deal with it. Yep. Especially if you don't have to live there, I think. It's easy to just be like, okay, this is happening. And as long as you don't fuck shit up, it's going to be fine. Right. So anyway... Um, while it was relatively harmless for the children at first, Roger and Carolyn's experiences uh, were decidedly more sinister. <laughs> Roger uh, says that he would open the front door and be, quote, overwhelmed by a putrefying smell. <sighs> That's not flowers and fruit. <laughs> and then, as you know in the movie, uh, the haunting mostly seems to focus on Carolyn, the mother. Right. She had a lot of experiences. Uh, She said uh, one time she awoke before dawn uh, to find an apparition by her bed, the head of an old woman hanging off to one side over an old gray dress. There was a voice reverberating, get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. Holy shit. This is from a 1977 article in the Providence Journal. That gave me shivers. Yeah. So that's, uh, P.S., at this time the article is published, they still live there. (laughs) (laughs) So what the fuck? That's fucking bananas. (laughs) Yeah. There was also apparently an orange that oozed blood. An orange that oozed? Was it just a blood orange, guys? I don't know. (laughs) Jury's still out. Uh, Doors slammed shut or would not shut. And a young voice cried, Mama, Mama. <laughs> Mama. Mama. <laughs> uh, Andrea claims that there was a very bad male spirit and five little girls. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, so things are happening for a couple years before the Warrens arrive. Apparently they were brought in by Rhode Island Paranormal Group, not the parents. 
they just showed up on the front door one night, one day in 1973, and they're like, hey, uh, we hear your house is haunted. (laughs) Hey, uh, can you show us that orange? I mean, that kind of tracks based on the neighbors telling them to leave their lights on. Yeah. Also, if it's a small town, word probably spreads. Right. And it also sounds like what you were talking about um, with their organization that would, or like the early days where they would just kind of like keep an ear out for stories and they would just kind of show up. Yes. So yeah, they showed up in 1973. And according to Andrea, Mrs. Warren came into the house knowing nothing, but she stepped into the kitchen and said, quote, I feel a dark presence and her name is Bathsheba. (laughs) (laughs) Spooky. (laughs) They returned several times throughout the year into 1974. At one point, Lorraine looked into a corner and saw the most grotesque thing I have ever seen in my life. She called out for it to go away in the name of God. Yeah. So this is where, I mean, Lorraine obviously did a lot of interviews when the movie was coming out. Right. Um, so she has a lot of, you know, thoughts about this published. And so she has said that uh, her biggest concern was the family's lack of religious faith. She said, quote, you only have your faith as your protection. I always had my faith. God protecting me allowed me to do this. I mean, I get that. I don't argue with a lot of people who feel that way. I'm not a person of faith. Yeah. And I said, well, ah. I'm not a person of doctrinal faith. Yes. Uh, I certainly do have my own I think according to, yes, <laughs> we'll just leave that there. <laughs> yep, just leave it right there. <laughs> I mean, if you are the Warrens and you are deep into demonology and you are participating and knowing about exorcisms, I could see why you would be like, why wouldn't you be Catholic? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> like We're like, this is this is the only people that are talking about the thing that you're experiencing. Well, not that they're, not only that they're talking about it, but they are like your only protection. Right. Like in the movie, she's famously carrying around a rosary constantly. Right. And for people who are Catholic, like that is a very real tangible shield against evil. That's absolutely true. So, and, you know, they're constantly using holy water and all of that. So in her mind, I could very much see, like, you have all this shit happening in your house and you are not (laughs) protecting yourself. What the fuck is your problem? What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so they, you know, returned several times, but things kind of ramped up, kind of like in the movie. Right. There seems to have been one particular night where things really broke bad. Um, So the Warrens had arrived for an intercession with a group of people, including a priest, a medium, and a few technical people. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the... That's also portrayed in the movie where they have, you know, people with cameras and microphones and such. It was apparently not technically an exorcism. There was a priest there. So I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on like what exactly happened because it's not really spelled out concretely anywhere. Sure. Because there's one article talking about the differences between the movie and reality and Lorraine. Well, famously in the movie, it's the, the problem is they can't get a priest there in time to do an exorcism and so ed kind of has to end up doing it himself sure and lorraine is quoted in articles saying like he never would have done that by himself because he's not a priest like he's a demonologist he wouldn't he, right. he studies it he doesn't yeah like in their mind the if you're films. catholic like you have to be a trained professional in order yes. to well we talk talked to about god that in our last <laughs> time we looked we took a hard look at exorcism when we talked about there's mm-hmm. an exorcism school for priests in italy yeah not it's like not even every priest is qualified to do it right so yeah she said ed would never have attempted an exorcism by himself but 
it also says that there was a priest there and they do seem to do have done some exorcism adjacent things sure andrea and her sister cindy were apparently watching from a distance <laughs> from a distance i'm sorry i can't no, stop this myself. is bad <laughs> they said that they saw everything that happened quote and the power of evil in this life and uh, i don't remember which one said this but they said uh the only time i was truly terrified in that house was the night i thought i saw my mother die she spoke in a voice we had never heard before a power not of this world threw her 20 feet into another room. Holy fuck. Yeah. 20 feet. Yeah. Like, that's where, at this point, I'm doing my research, and I'm like, ah, like, that's... That's twice the length of the room we're in. That's twice right. the length of the studio. Yeah. This is a 10-foot wall. And, like, this is people saying, like, this is my first-hand account, which I am always more tempted to believe. Right. Because I do, deep down, trust people for the most part. Right. <laughs> like, there is, of course, a chance that this is all bullshit. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, why would you make this shit up? Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. People are feet. weird. 20 feet. 20 feet is like what long jumpers jump after running really fast yeah. for like 50 yards or something. I guess what like I'm trying to say is like, if this is a, a hoax, if this is a fraud, the entire family is in on it. Yeah. Which, which is, could be the case. Could definitely happen. I wish we had a firm place to stand. I know. But, like, okay, so the son of the Lutz family mm-hmm. has famously come out and said, this is all bullshit. He has made allegations that his father was abusive and all of that, which I find pretty compelling. Yeah. Allegedly, allegedly. Um, <laughs> but, like, the fact that this whole family is still sticking to the story. Yeah. Either they are very terrified about the truth getting out and, like, are trying to cover their asses, or it really happened. Right. Anyway, according to Roger, Carolyn was possessed, her entire body was distorted, and it lasted for several hours until they <sighs> de-demonized her. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Carolyn described the events as dreadful and said the Warrens tried to help, but we essentially found things got worse around them. Possibly because... They're bringing more energy to it. And Lorraine is probably a pretty big conduit for things. Yeah. Talk about drawing attention to yourself, Lorraine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Roger was so upset by what happened that night that he asked the Warrens to leave. It doesn't really give much more resolution than that. Wow. So I assume they had some level of success, I guess, because as I said before, they continued to live in the house for... At this point, like another five years. But eventually they said that they accepted the fact that they were not alone and they just learned to live with it. And I think they kind of got to this point where, you know, after they asked the Warrens to leave, they were like, okay, we're just going to figure out a way to deal with it, a way to shut ourselves off from it. And we'll accept that there are other spirits in this house, but we will not engage them to the same level, I think. And that's probably the smartest thing to do. Yeah. You know, especially if it threw your mom 20 feet. Yeah. Like, if you're not going to get the fuck out, and there's very legitimate financial reasons in which that would be impossible. Like, Mm -hmm. real people have to be alive, guys. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're always like, oh, just leave. But, like, the reality for a lot of people is, (laughs) us included, you can't just go buy another house. Right, yeah. If this house, like, I bought this house because I knew it was not haunted. Yeah. Because once you're here, you're stuck with it. Yeah. So they say that they learned to live with as many as nine spirits in the house. And they moved out in 1980. I wonder who moved in next. I do, too. I want to know more. And that's, like, that would really make or break 
my opinion of this story yeah. is other people's stories about it. Unfortunately, I don't have that. I wonder if it's out there. I'd be very interested to learn more. So as we have said, <laughs> there's a movie about it, <laughs> very... Uh, successful movie came out in 2013 and I was reading through the trivia on IMDb as I always do always for every single movie I cannot recommend that feature enough <laughs> uh, so many fun facts um, so a couple of fun facts from that trivia page um, when the Hayes brothers were the writers and Lorraine Warren would chat on the phone about the script they kept getting cut off by weird sounds and a lot of static then out of nowhere the line would suddenly go dead oh so Lorraine Warren had T-Mobile <laughs> <laughs> that or she's like <laughs> with her hard candy wrapper. Oh, we're going through a tunnel. There's a spirit click. <laughs> They're like, tell us more about your relationship with your husband. She's like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, another fun fact, which is not a spooky. Uh, the exterior of the house is located in North Carolina. Oh. But the interior is a built set that was made to look exactly like the real home. Wow. Yeah. So fun. Um, And when the movie was shown in the Philippines, some cinemas had to hire a Catholic priest to bless the viewers before showing it. This was due to some viewers reporting a negative presence after watching the film. I believe it. But I think, I don't think that's necessarily, I think like any horror film could have done that. I think also, skeptic, there's a lot of energy (laughs) around horror movies. That's exactly what I mean. A lot of paranoia. We're on the same page A lot of uh, feelings of like... Oh, this is happening everywhere. You know how, like, you watch a horror movie and then you have to watch Spongebob for 30 minutes mm-hmm. so that you just feel better? Cleanse your palate. Exactly. There's always Veggie Tales for me, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, yeah, anyway, so that basic idea. Yeah. Um, but I just want to close on a quote from um, Andrea Perrin's book, House of Darkness, House of Light. This comes from Volume 3, which is the only volume I could find on Google Books. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to do more research from the actual book, but also her writing style is very poetic and not very fact-heavy. <laughs> Still might be fun to read. I might pick that book up for the old collection, too. Yeah. So she closes the or summarizes the events saying, quote, together as one, the merely mortal parent family intermingled with the immortality and each was transformed by the experience. They would emerge from this engagement profoundly changed, spiritually stirred, shaken, and awakened by personal encounters they will never forget. Together, they'd entered a new dark age. To see its light was the challenge, the message, and the lesson. Their tests always came first. When they emerged, it was with a truly life-altering realization. There is no death, only transformation. Wow. All right. Cool. Yeah. So that is uh, the Perrin family. That really shaped her. Yeah. Cool. All yeah. right. You got a listener story for us, Jeff? Yes, we do have a short and sweet one. hey We're going long. So this story is from Jasmine, and it is called Ohio University Listener Story. Perfect. So I assume this was sent to us after we did that episode. <laughs> Two years ago? Two years ago. No, this was sent this year. Oh, was it sent after Ohio beat Michigan? It was probably sent after, well, she listened to the, okay, I'll just read it because it actually explains it in the email. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, So Jasmine writes, hey guys, my name is Jasmine and I've been listening to the podcast for a month or so and I just went back to an episode I skipped somehow 
But I went to OU for a few years, and I have a story. hey It's unfortunately not mine. It's a friend of my roommate's. So our freshman year, all the freshmen were put in classes called learning communities. <laughs> Sounds very so freshman year. college. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, its purpose is to have freshmen make friends and be with people who are new to help them make the transition from high school to college easier. At Grand Valley, we call that transitions. We had... Oh, what was it? Quest. 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 Awesome. <laughs> I knew I'd remember it. The shitty thing about my group was, like, the way they... every There's, like, small groups of, like, 20 people. And each is led by an orientation leader. And they are the most obnoxious people on campus. <laughs> because yep. they are camp counselors. <laughs> yep. For college kids. Yep. <laughs> Not RAs. <laughs> they <laughs> just exist to, like, play icebreaker <laughs> games. And they are... I wanted to be one my freshman year, but by the time I got a little further in my college career, I was like, you guys are insufferable. You guys are the worst. Uh, but the the girl we had, she's like, I met my best friend <laughs> in my first day of orientation. And so look around you. Some of you will are meeting your best friend today. And I was like, sit down. That's too much pressure. <laughs> you know what's revolting? Hmm. That is when I met Bridget. You, okay. You know? It happens. It, it happens. But Although, to say that it will inevitably happen right. is false. And and to only have one best friend is also a repugnant idea to me. Because, like, Jen, I didn't meet you until I was graduating. Right. right? Like, My point is you can't put that kind of pressure on someone. I mean, I guess. You can. <laughs> it just doesn't always Not go. on me. I famously will not do what people tell me to <laughs> That's do. That's true. That's very true. Jen, don't you dare continue telling this story. Okay. <laughs> well, fuck you. We're going to do it. No. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so we we did a bunch of icebreaker uh, events, as you do. One event was to go to The Ridges, which is capitalized. Uh, the Insane Asylum. I believe I talked about this on the podcast. It's very, it's in the like scariest places on earth documentary that I was obsessed with as a child, which is like a 10 minute walk from campus. Uh, We were allowed to walk in and look around for a few minutes and stuff. Are you okay, Ohio University? (laughs) You're letting your freshman students go ghost hunting? Sounds fun to me. This is actually the most like compelling reason I've ever heard to This is an icebreaker I would get behind, but... To have it officially school sanctioned is a little concerning. Surprising, certainly. Yes. Okay. So my roommate's friend was going on the tour with her learning community. And for some reason, before she left, she grabbed something, I guess, as a keepsake. And she writes, like, WTF? <laughs> so later that night, the friend and her roommate are laying in their dorm trying to fall asleep. Then all of a sudden, the girl who took the thing suddenly sits up in her bed and is whispering nonsense words, and her roommate is trying to calm her down and talk to her. This is the scariest thing. I have had an experience like this where my good friend, Rebecca, when we we were roommates in Hungary, and we barely met before going on this semester abroad, and we're like, okay, we're going to be roommates for the semester, as happens. And she's like, oh, you know, sometimes, like, when I'm in a new place, I wake up and I get disoriented. Oh. Sure enough. (laughs) We're laying there first night, and in the middle of the night, it is pitch black, and I just hear, I'm awoken suddenly by, hello? Hello? Like, 
not joking. That's exactly how it sounded. And I was like, just stricken with terror. And then luckily, our other roommate and my good friend Ainsley was like, Rebecca, it's okay. Just go back to sleep. And she was like, okay. And she just like rolled over and go back. I was like shitting a brick. Ainsley's the best. Yeah. She's so calming. Um, so yeah, this is the most terrifying thing for a new roommate situation. That's great. Um, but whispering nonsense words. Ooh. Then the girl starts saying, she's coming. Who's she's coming? She's coming. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> and not just because it's freezing in here. It is freezing in uh, here. <laughs> so obviously the roommate is freaking out. Like, what the fuck? Who's coming? What are you talking about? And then the, quote, possessed girl just falls back down and goes to sleep. Like, okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this happens. This happened to me. And then they just fall back asleep, and I'm like, nothing happened. And then the next morning, they're like, oh, what? I did what? And you're like, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry I have no more details and that it might not be a great that great of a story. We that's liked not it. true. I enjoyed it. But that's all I remember from my freshman year. I'm 22 now. Oh, Sweet angel baby. Sweet angel baby. Uh, But I hope you guys liked hearing it, and hopefully you'll read this on the podcast or give me a shout-out. Shout-out! Here we are. Uh, (laughs) She's like, sorry, it's not that detailed. Honey, this is the perfect length. This is what I specifically what I was looking for today. So (laughs) I'm totally in favor of more ghost stories that are one paragraph long. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for sharing that wonderful... Yeah. uh, Tale. A moose bouche of a story. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is that. Uh, we have two new Patreons to thank. Oh. We have Carla Margulis. <gasps> We're friends. Yeah. Hey, Carla. <laughs> hey, Carla. Thank you. Um, and then we have Miggy Orme Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name it now. All right. So, thank you, new Patreons. If. We need to do our December video. Um, we're going to get on that. Um, we're doing kind of like a holiday at home with Jen and Kate, yes. I think is where we're headed. Yes. Should be amusing. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to get in on that action, go to patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted. And if you can't get in on that action because finances are hard, we understand and we still love you. Yes. Uh, so find us on social media. Yep. That's that. <laughs> All right. Well, with that... Stay spooky, motherfuckers. See you in a fortnight.